Welcome to Palmdale United Methodist Church's podcast for Sunday, September 30th, 2018. May God use this as a blessing to you today. Let us pray. Oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I'm not sure who the cook is in your family, but have you ever done this? Like, you have no plans for dinner, uh, so you open up your pantry and you gaze at the shelves to see, hmm, what can I make tonight? By the way, this is not a picture of my pantry. Um, it's a little too organized uh, and definitely not cluttered enough for my pantry, but this is an internet pantry photo that I got. Um, or you open the fridge and you just start looking through the shelves, hmm, what could I make uh, this evening? Again, this is not my fridge. There's way too much fresh fruit, uh, fresh produce in this fridge, and not enough of those uh, leftover containers, like all the different, yeah, that's in my fridge. Uh, But this week, I stumbled across this website called uh, myfridgefood.com. Anybody know this one? It's this super easy, way cool website designed to help you come up with something to eat when you don't really know what to make. So here's how it works. On the opening page, and I know it's kind of hard to see, but there's all these different categories of types of food. And you can even go even into more details uh, if you want. But let's say you check the boxes of what you have on hand. So uh, I just selected, uh, you can't read them, but here's the categories. Cheese, chicken breasts, olive oil, honey, pancake mix, rice, and Doritos. All right? What could we make with those things? Well, according to uh, myfridgefood.com, there were a number of options, including uh, easy chicken rice casserole, fried cheese wontons, Mexican chicken, easy funnel cake, that caught my attention, bacon cheese chicken, and zucchini ravioli. By the way, at the bottom of each recipe, there's also a um, other ingredients you may need, hence the bacon and the zucchini that I didn't mention earlier, right? This is such a great way of, you know, kind of mixing things up a little, looking at what you have on hand and seeing what kind of fun recipes you can throw together. Which brings me to the fourth and final installment of our September sermon series entitled The Path to Wisdom, Life Lessons from the Book of Proverbs. And each week, uh, we've been looking at a different uh, theme in Proverbs. We began with why wisdom and the book of Proverbs is important for us to study. We looked at wise and foolish words, what we should and shouldn't say to one another. Uh, Last week was wisdom and our finances. And today, we wrap things up basically by opening the fridge of Proverbs and seeing what's left. What can we make up of all the things that we have left? And so I'm calling today Wisdom Potpourri. Today I'll talk about some of the Proverbs that didn't fit into the previous weeks that we looked at. But of course, there's no way I'll be able to cover all of the topics that the book of Proverbs uh, lists. In fact, a wonderful way of adding Proverbs to your devotional uh, routine is there are 31 chapters in Proverbs. Uh, Months have anywhere up to 31 days. You pick whatever day it is. Today's the 30th. You go to Proverbs chapter 30, and you just read through that as part of your day. And of course, there's going to be things that don't connect to you. Just let those go. But there may be two or three Proverbs. Think of it like divine fortune cookies that you're opening up and reading these wonderful words of wisdom that, might, that God might be able to use to bless you that day. Having said that, I do want to share a sampling of some of the more interesting Proverbs that I will not be preaching upon today. So here are my top five Proverbs that I'm not preaching on today. Number five, 
a gift opens doors, it gives access to the great. Now, I don't think this is encouraging us to start adding bribery uh, to our repertoire of, you know, gifts of the Spirit, but it may serve as a backdrop into why in many cultures it's proper to bring a housewarming gift when you're invited over to someone's home. Number four, the righteous know the needs of their animals, but the mercy of the wicked is cruel. Who knew that the Bible had something to say for pet lovers, right? That God wants us to take care of our critters because they are part of our family as well. Number three, let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, otherwise your neighbor will become weary of you and hate you. Yes, this is the be careful you don't wear out your welcome proverb. Or this one, Proverbs 25, 16 says, If you have found honey, eat only enough for you, or else having too much, you will vomit it. (laughs) Funny, I never see those uh, embroidered on pillows or hanging on people's walls, right? I think I'll just call this the Winnie the Pooh passage of the Bible, right? Or number one, gray hair is a crown of glory. It is gained in a righteous life. Can I get an amen? Amen. Now that I've turned 50, I'm starting to get my own little patches of glory right here above my ears. Although I look around and I see some of you are much more righteous than I am. (laughs) Oh, wait, I forgot. I've been telling you every week that proverbs aren't promises or guarantees. They're just the way things work most of the time. So I guess we could say that most of the gray hair in this room uh, is an indicator of a righteous life. We just won't figure out which one is and which one isn't. Well, enough of what I'm not going to be preaching about today, and uh, on to the rest of wisdom potpourri. So the first piece of wisdom that can be summarized uh, by two words, do good. In fact, this was one of the the three uh, simple things that early Methodists uh, had as a tenant. We should do good. Proverbs eleven seventeen says, Those who are kind reward themselves, but the cruel do themselves harm. I think part of the central truth of this proverb is that when we do good, we actually feel good. That it literally has health benefits to us. There's this special calm and quiet in our soul that comes over us. An inner awareness that we've just had the privilege of being a channel of God's amazing love. Because God is a God who... Uh, at God's core, is good. And we are made as men and women, made in the image of God. So we have, we've been created to have this capacity to do good. The Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, verse 10, For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand as our way of life. We were wired to be people who do good. Last week when we were talking about finances, we looked at Proverbs 3.27 that said, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. The sages say that there are times in our lives when it is indeed within our power to help someone, to do good. And when those situations arise, we need to follow the promptings of the Spirit and do what we can. But conversely, there may be other times when it really is not within our power for whatever reason. I mean, we, we may want to help, but we may lack the knowledge, the skill, the opportunity, the time, the talent, the resources, or even the energy to do so. And if that's the case, then don't feel guilty. Just, if you genuinely can't help, then entrust that situation back to God. And God will find someone else 
who will be able to help and reach out to those in need. Popery one, do good. Popery wisdom number two, cultivate compassion. Proverbs 14.21 says, those who despise their neighbors are sinners, but the happy, but happy are those who are kind to the poor. And I think this proverb and others remind us that our neighbors aren't just those who live on either side of us or that live on the same street as we are. Our neighbors are everyone in our community, right? Jesus told that story about the Good Samaritan and especially uh, the people that live on the other side of town or that you think are so not like you or me or us. Jesus also includes those as our neighbor. And numerous places throughout Proverbs, the sages teach about showing kindness to the poor. It's a, a theme that we find all throughout Scripture. Not only that, but the United Methodist Church has made, uh, as a denomination, has made one of our central tenets to be committed to globally helping ad- issues that address uh, poverty around the world. Proverbs 21.13 says, If you close your ear to the cry of the poor, you will cry out and not be heard. Which I find fascinating. Could it be that God is so concerned with the needs of the poor that how we treat the least of these among us may determine how effectively our prayers and cries are heard or not heard. I mean, that should cause us to reconsider how we relate to those around us, right? And then there's Proverbs 14.31, which tells us, those who oppress the poor insult their maker, but those who are kind to the needy honor him. We honor God when we give to those in need, when we have something to share and we reach out to those who need it. I've had the the privilege of traveling to the Philippines three times in the last decade. And on each occasion, I was the guest of a wonderful organization known as Compassion International. They're a child advocacy group whose whole focus is on releasing children from poverty. And they do an amazing job. I've seen up close, and I've, I've looked at the financial records as well, and, and they're very good stewards. One of the ways that we can help the poor is by simply noticing them. These are a few pictures that I took back in the Philippines, but we don't have to travel across the Pacific to see people in need. They are all around us. And we begin to develop compassion when we notice others in our community around us. And when we reach out to help. Compassion works with individuals all over the world who sponsor a child from an impoverished country for $38 a month. That child can have food, clothing, education, immunizations, recreation, art, And most importantly, a relationship with Jesus. This sense of purpose and hope that their life does have meaning. Our family has been sponsoring two children from Compassion for almost 15 years now. There are many ways, though, that we can help those in need here from Palmdale United Methodist Church. One is, every month, bring some uh, non-perishable items from your pantry in. And we share them with our brothers and sisters at, at Pear Blossom. Because they have a food pantry for those in need. Just drop them off in the hallway on the way to the social hall. You'll see a big basket that says Pear Blossom Food Pantry. Or you can volunteer to help one of our three feeding programs. Once a month, at three different times in three different locations, a group of our church makes a meal and goes and serves it to people in need in the community. Not to mention the, when our youth do uh, uh, make lunch, serve lunch, our young adults also go out and help serve at various times throughout the month. Or you can support the Guatemala project that we have today by buying handicrafts made in Guatemala to help raise money, as Pastor Aaron said, to build efficient stoves that will be installed 
in the homes there. So they won't get sick from cooking their food inside an enclosed place and all of the smoke and the fumes uh, getting into their lungs. But there's another way we can cultivate compassion. It might be the easiest and the hardest to do at the same time. And that's building loving relationships. Building loving relationships with people that may be, uh, as we say, less fortunate than us. That's a very subjective term. When I was in the Philippines, we had the privilege of going to visit a few of the compassion children and their families in their homes. This is a picture of, back then, one-year-old Stephine and his mother Josephine. Josephine brings Stephine to the Compassion Child Survival Program every day. This is made for moms and their babies. They get food, vitamins, education, how to properly care for their children in a healthy way. Now, Josephine's home was incredibly small, the smallest house I'd ever been in at that time. It's made mostly of old boards, thin pieces of tin, whatever else they could find. But we were treated like treasured guests when we walked into their home that day. And we were talking about life and living in... They were living in Davao in the very southernmost part of the Philippine Islands. And Josephine was sharing her hopes and dreams for her children, for the power that, that having faith and being a Christian had had helped them in their life. Uh, and the many ways she felt she was already blessed. In fact, at the end, I offered to pray for them. And she said, uh, we don't need anything. But there's some of our neighbors, they don't have nearly what we have. And my... My heart just started melting because I was looking around thinking, it doesn't look like you have much. But I, she kept talking about how the many ways they've been blessed. And she was thinking about those that didn't have what she had. After 30 minutes of visiting with Josephine, I realized I was the one who went away blessed. When we cultivate lives with others, when we build relationships with people that may not walk in our same economic circles we find that we are the one that's blessed. Whether it's uh, through a church feeding program and start talking with the people that are coming or engaging in a conversation with somebody that you find asking for donations outside of Walmart. Find opportunities to get to know people that you don't normally associate with. And I promise your life will be enriched. Not because it's an assignment or a project or we're supposed to do that. No, but because we're all God's children. And when we begin to get to know people where they are, we might realize we're a lot more similar than we think. The third mini, mini theme that I'd like to share with you from Proverbs is how important it is for us to choose our friends wisely. Proverbs thirteen twenty says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companions of fools suffer harm. The people that we choose to spend time with, that we hang out with, they have a huge influence on our life. Author Bill Hybels writes, If we want to develop sober judgment, we should choose friends renowned for making wise decisions. If we want to strengthen our convictions, we should pick people with reputations for standing up for what they believe. If we wish we were kinder, we should spend more time with those who treat others with gentleness and grace. If we want to walk more closely with God, we should put ourselves under the influence of people who make spiritual disciplines a priority. We talk about our discipleship plan here at Palmdale United Methodist Church, that there's how do we live out our faith as following Jesus? And there's four areas, one of which is building relationships with others, cultivating friendships. We're meant to be in community. We're not supposed 
to live life or be in relationship with Christ on our own. That's why we place such an emphasis on small groups, Bible studies, huddles, activities like youth group, young adult, choir, United Methodist women, United Methodist men. We need to be in relationship with each other. By the way, we're going to be starting uh, two more discipleship huddles. Those are uh, simple six-week gatherings for a little over an hour at a time about learning to hear God speak into our life. One of them is going to be here at the church Thursday morning, starting this Thursday from 9 to 10.15 in the morning. Another one is going to be Wednesday nights online at 8.30. That means you can put the kids to bed, get home from work, and you can do it from the confines of your computer at home. That's going to be from 8.30 to 9.45. There's sign-up sheets right in the lobby if you'd like to join us. But it's these circles that we begin to build and strengthen friendships. Proverbs 17, 17 reminds us a friend loves at all times and kinfolk are born to share adversity. I think one of the greatest gifts that God gives us is our friendships. And when we go through tough and difficult times, it's those close friends that help see us through our pain and our hurt. And the church should be a place where we grow and we deepen our friendships and relationships. But we actually have to work at it. It's easy to just come and go and not sign up for anything, but we make the commitment, take a little step, move out of our comfort zone, sign up for a small group, and then we find how God blesses us. Fourth, Proverbs challenges us to take correction. Proverbs 12.1 says rather bluntly, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but those who hate to be rebuked are stupid. The Bible actually says stupid in it. Can you believe that? It's important for us to learn how to handle criticism or correction positively. In the book of Proverbs, correction is often referred to as reproof or discipline. And I know, nobody likes to be corrected. But Proverbs says it's a mark of wisdom if we actually accept that into our lives. Instead of getting embarrassed or defensive, let's try to see how that might lead to greater character and uh, a lifestyle change that we might become more like Jesus. Proverbs 15, 31, 32 says, The ear that heeds wholesome admonition will lodge among the wise. Those who ignore instruction despise themselves, but those who heed admonition gain understanding. So whether it's from family members, friends, co-workers who all love you, or others that you may not exactly get along with, correction still can be used by God as a way to help us change for the better. Proverbs 19.20 says, Listen to advice and accept instruction so that you may gain wisdom for the future. Now, as I said before, nobody likes correction. And and it's human nature that our first response would be to get defensive. But really, it's our final reaction to reproof that really counts. So don't let your pride get in the way of what God might actually want to be changing and working in your life to make you more like him. Fifth, the sages of Proverbs call us to pursue love. This may seem like one of those no-brainers, but it's always good to be reminded to love. Proverbs 10, 12 says, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. That's a powerful verse right there. Love covers all offenses. What does it mean to pursue love in what we do? Proverbs 12, 25 says, Anxiety weighs down the heart, but a good word cheers it up. We're living in a time where people are feeling the weight and pressure of life. We're having more people that are dealing with depression. Suicide is on the rise. People need words of encouragement. You have that opportunity 
to give gifts of hope and life and encouragement to people in your family. Anxiety, stress, worry, fear, they're all common things that we go through today. But what a blessing to have someone in your life that will speak a word of love and encouragement. It's very easy to do. And sometimes we overlook it because we think, oh, they already know how I feel. Make the effort to tell people in your life how important they are, how much you love them, how special they are. Proverbs 17, 9 reminds us that oftentimes to love is to forgive. One who forgives and affront fosters friendship. The one who dwells on disputes will alienate a friend. What do we say every week here? At Palmdale United Methodist Church, we are inspired by Jesus to love. And one of the ways that we love is through granting forgiveness for those that have hurt us. Because when we forgive, we love. And when we love, we imitate Jesus. We also foster healing in our own lives and in the lives of those who have hurt us. Now, forgiveness does not necessarily mean restoration. There are some situations you should not go back to if it's a a hurting relationship. But forgiveness means you're willing to let go of getting back at that person or getting even or getting revenge. Allow the healing to happen in your life. There are also many proverbs that deal on the issue of family. So when it comes to families and marriages, it's important that we guard our hearts. Avoiding intimate conversations, flirting, and inappropriate relationships with people other than those that we have committed our lives to. Now, this may seem like one of those no-duh kind of statements, but all throughout Proverbs, caution is given to avoiding inappropriate situations. Proverbs 7 speaks about the seduction of a wayward woman. Now, we have to remember, like we said in the very first week, the book was written from the perspective of an older man teaching a younger male student. So it could easily... Uh, be warning against wayward men as well, ladies. So it, it kind of encompasses all of us. I have decked my couch with coverings, colored spreads of Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. Right away, he follows her and goes like an ox to the slaughter. That's in the Bible? Wow. Actually, everyone in committed relationships need to work at guarding our hearts because everyone in a committed relationship has the potential to succumb to inappropriate relationships. Everyone. Hear that again, everyone. If you think it would never happen to you, I suggest you think again. We may not start out to be involved in those kind of relationships, Marriage and family counselor and author Calfred Braddock remarks, I am convinced the more people get themselves into the pain of fidelity through empathy, concern, and compassion than they do through any base motive. The world is full of lonely and vulnerable people, hungry for a sympathetic ear and a shoulder to cry on. That's why the sages and Proverbs caution us to watch how easily friends can turn into lovers. Psychologists tell us we are drawn to the people that we spend most of our time with. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. Author Robert Jeffress remarks, Most affairs do not begin in the bedroom, they begin in the heart, and nothing stirs the heart more than flattering words or empathetic conversation. The danger is evidenced by this proverb. Can fire be carried in the bosom without burning one's clothes, or can one walk on hot coals without scorching the feet? Next, Proverbs says that if we want strong relationships, 
Rejoicing is the key. Proverbs 5.18 tells us to rejoice in the wife of your youth, meaning celebrate your spouse. Celebrate your partner. It doesn't say uh, put up with the wife of your youth. It doesn't say tolerate the man that you're married to. It doesn't even say peacefully coexist with the person that you have committed your life to. No, it says rejoice in the wife of your youth, meaning rejoice in your spouse, rejoice in your partner. Strong marriages and families have palpable presence of joy in them. Take time to cultivate that joy in your relationship. Find ways to nurture, enhance, and breathe life into your family. Couples go on dates like you used to do before you got married or had children. Discover what it is that sets your spouse's heart singing and go out of your way to do those things together, even if it's not something that you necessarily enjoy doing on your own. Don't allow laziness or whatever routines you've settled into to be the downfall of your marriage. And in the same way that our marriages need joy, so does our parenting. Proverbs twenty three twenty five says, Let your father and mother be glad. Let her who bore you rejoice. One child development expert cites studies that indicate that people who grow up to be healthy and well-adjusted adults, they can all, almost all of them, look back to at least one parent, and I love this phrase, who loved them irrationally. Right? So if, you wanna, if, you, if you've grown up to be normal, it's all relative, right? Relatively normal and adjusted, you can probably look back and pick one or both of your parents who loved you irrationally. But people who perpetually struggle through life, who are not well-adjusted, who sink into extremes of depression, crime, or hyperachievement, usually cannot recall being irrationally loved by either parent. The researcher concluded that in order to grow up normal, every human has to be loved abnormally. Isn't that great? If we want to be normal, we have to love our children and our grandchildren abnormally. When we rejoice in them, it involves love, excitement, celebration, and joy all rolled into one. Instead of catching our kids when they do something wrong, catch them doing something right and celebrate that. Finally, my friends, the last mini theme I want to highlight might very well be the most important one in all of Proverbs, and that is to trust God in everything. Proverbs 3, 3 to 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own insight. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. You see, when it all comes down to it, it's a matter of trust. Where will we ultimately place our trust? Can we trust God with all of our heart? And in all our ways, acknowledge God and God's authority in every aspect of our lives? Because whether we like to admit it or not, our human perspective is always limited. Our natural intuition is always slightly suspect. I think John Wesley even said, there are some things that I'm mistaken about and other things I know that I'm just wrong. We have to remember that there may be more that we need to learn. Author Bill Hybels writes, If the truth be told, we will all mess up our lives to some degree if we merely follow our own insights. Proverbs 16, 2-3 says, All one's ways may be pure in one's own eyes, but the Lord weighs the Spirit. Commit your works to the Lord, and your plans will be established. Just a few verses later, the sage comments, The human mind plans the way, but the Lord directs the steps. 
Now, we have to do the work, right? We have to uh, plan where we think we should go and how we should live our lives and what we should do. But we don't have the same perspective God has. And it may be as we're pursuing where we think God is leading us that we get a, a left turn or a right turn. Are we willing to go and to trust that God is working for good in our lives and the world around us? There was a study that happened just after World War II among accomplished pilots, 20 extremely skilled and capable airline pilots who were excellent at flying in clear weather, but they hadn't been trained to use the new navigation systems that were coming into place just after World War II. And so each of these 20 pilots were placed in a flight simulator and instructed to do whatever it took to keep the airplane under control because they were going to be flying through simulated thick, dark clouds and stormy weather. The results, all 20 of these pilots crashed and killed themselves in the situation, in the simulation, with an average of 178 seconds. 178 seconds. It took these seasoned pilots with skilled intuition less than three minutes to destroy themselves once they lost their visual reference points. So what about us, friends? How much of life do we just try to fly it on our own skill and without the navigation that we've come to know being God and the Holy Spirit? Some of, some of us today have never really made the switch from intuition flying into trusting our ultimate guidance system and giving our heart and lives completely and unashamedly over to Jesus. Some of us have been trained in the navigation instruments like prayer and Bible reading and small group connections But our problem is we keep taking back the control and choosing to rely on our sight and not where God may be leading us. And I know some of us also are going through some very thick clouds and stormy weather. And there's situations that are breaking our hearts. Why not trust the Lord with all of your heart, even if it's broken this morning? And stop relying on your own insight. In all your ways, acknowledge God, for God has promised to make your path straight. That doesn't mean you're never going to have problems. That's just part of life. There's always bumps and turbulence as we're flying. But with God as our guide, we cannot go astray. We definitely won't crash in 178 seconds. I guarantee that. Thanks be to God for the gift of Proverbs, for the wisdom it has, and the opportunity we have to learn from it. May none of us be foolish. Remember from week one, the definition of a fool is someone who's not willing to learn, to be taught, to be corrected. May however God spoke to us today and through this entire series uh, be, be something that we actually take to heart. That we don't just hear it, but we live it out as we become true disciples who walk in the ways that lead to life. And all God's people said...